Thank you and uh, welcome back. Uh, thanks everybody for joining in. Uh, this is Screen South Asia June edition, and uh, this weekend we screen a film from Bhutan, The Next Guardian. And before we begin, I would like our editor, Woman Gautam, to uh, start with a welcome note. Um, I'll keep it very short um, and say some very important thank yous. Of course, Alok, as always, thank you. Sana, thank you. Um, and of course, the biggest thank you to everyone who's joining us and especially to Arun. Um, I think, yeah, what to say about this film? It's so sublimely shot, sublimely edited, sublimely told, humanely told. It's one that really stays with you. Um, it's one of those when when it ends, I mean, it, it ends in a beautiful way, but also ends, it felt so abrupt only because you really want to know what happened next, really what happened next. Um, so I guess now we get a chance to find out what happened next. So I won't say anything more. Thank you all for joining us. Um, I'll leave you with um, Alok and Sana to lead the way. Thank you, Roman. Um, I'd like to quickly introduce the filmmakers. Uh, Arun is joining us today, but this film is co-directed by Arun Bachaya and Dorothea Zurbo. Uh, Dorothea Zurbo. I'm going to go first with her, is a documentary filmmaker and a university teacher from Hungary. Uh, the Next Guardian was their first uh, feature-length documentary film. She graduated from the first edition of Doc Nomad Joint Masters, for which she was awarded full Erasmus Funder Scholarship in Lisbon, Budapest, and Brussels in 2014. In 2021, she received her DLA diploma from the University of Theatre and Film Arts in Budapest, where she is also a lecturer in the field of transmedia storytelling and experimental documentary. Her second feature, Easy Lessons, a feature-length uh, documentary supported by the incubator program of the Hungarian National Film Fund. Uh, the film premiered uh, at the Lacorna International Critics Week uh, section in 2018 and participated in more than 40 uh, international festivals. Arun Bhatrai, uh, this is, was also his first documentary film, The Next Guardian, uh, which premiered in competition at ITFA in 2017. Uh, since then, uh, it has uh, screened in more than 40 international film festivals and has had theatrical uh, releases and broadcasted around the world. The film has uh, was developed in several international workshops and was uh, supported by international film funds. Uh, his most recent uh, uh, television documentary, Kelden, won the Asia pitch and was screened at NHK World TV, Media Corp and, K and KBS Korea. He graduated from the first edition of the Doc Nomad Joint Master's Program in Documentary Film Directing. Uh, his short documentary in development, Mountain Man, is about Bhutan's first glaciologist who won the best, uh, and that uh, won the best pitch prize at the If Then Global Short Film uh, Pitch in 2019. Currently, Arun and Dorotya are developing Rosh National Happiness together as co-directors. The film is supported by the Hungarian National Film Fund the Sundance Institute and the Catapult Film Fund. Welcome, Arun. Sana, over Thank you very much. Thanks, Arun. Yeah, to start with, uh, so Arun, how did you meet the protagonists, Sakhi and Gambo, and how did you win their trust to, you know, tell their story for information? Mm -hmm. uh, well, uh, 
I think it's just like in many documentaries, the, um, you start with something and you reach something else. Uh, that's how, like, actually, uh, uh, right after my after my master's uh, in a program called as Doc Nomads in Europe, I came back to Bhutan and I wanted to do something um, with young people, basically like a story about young people. So. At that time, they were starting the first uh, professionally trained women team, a football team in Bhutan. So basically, I thought that's a good place to kind of go and search for stories. So I reached this uh, football camp where they were uh, starting the first uh, football team, women football team. And that's where actually I met uh, Tashi first. I hadn't met Gembo at that time. I only met Tashi. And I, I... I spent a few months there and I actually got very close to Tashi because uh, she was very shy, uh, but then she was very sure about her own identity. Uh, and um, from there, um, uh, during her summer break, I went to the village uh, in Bumtang, which is in, in central Bhutan. And that's where uh, I met uh, her brother, Gimbo, and the father as well. And uh, what started initially as a sports film, like I wanted to make a film about football, uh, kind of became a film about this family and about generation gap, because I thought that uh, here within the microcosm of this monastery, there was an opportunity to kind of uh, reflect upon, upon changing Bhutan as well as uh, generation gap through the story of, uh, of uh, Gembo Tashi and 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 the father so yeah that's uh, that's how uh, we i kind of uh, uh, reached to this story but uh, about gaining that trust um, i actually spent a lot of time with all of them uh, uh, initially i was at the football academy where i spent about 6 months trying to find the story and trying to find tashi and there i became friends with everyone and that's where i uh, that's where we became really good friends with Tashi. And later uh, at home, I became really good friends with the father and uh, also with the, the brother because I initially I wasn't actually filming. I was more like gaining their trust, showing them a lot of films and also kind of telling them uh, this is the kind of film I would like to do. Uh, because often, uh, um, because... Uh, there, I mean, uh, usually, I mean, uh, they're not aware of the creative documentary form. Uh, often when you go with a camera, people think that, oh, you are from a television station and you came for a few days, you just interview them and then you leave. But then it was important for me initially to tell them that I'm going to keep coming back. I'm going to sometimes be here, sometimes live with you and I need your, uh, I mean, I need your help and, you know, so... So we need to be friends and it should be a very collaborative process. And uh, so I wanted to make sure that it was there right from the beginning. So, yeah, so I spent a lot of time with all of them to, to do this film. That's fascinating. Uh, thank you, Arun. Um, you touch on so many things there, but uh, I'm going to... Uh, there is a dialogue in the film and you touch on the generational gap and you know that is definitely yes. such a big part of the film there's a dialogue in the film uh, by the father where he says our culture is important it is the key to happiness 
is influenced mm. by Buddhist philosophy. On the other yeah. hand, there are, uh, there are his children and the younger generation for whom happiness would have a completely different meaning. Can you comment on these contrasting views and also like how you portrayed it in film? Yeah, I mean, for me also, it was, uh, uh, it was um, uh, actually one of the, um, one of the things that uh, struck me uh, when I went there to the eastern part of Bhutan was that because I grew up there, you know, like in, you know, uh, in, in actually like not so far from there, about two hours away from there. So I studied there. So this, uh, I really wanted to reflect on, on this, this uh, idea of, of, of generation gap because it's very, it's very prevalent. Like in South Asia, usually it's like, uh, you know, like children cannot say no to to the to the parents and i wanted to i wanted to show this that's why there is like you see in the film that there is no point where gimbo actually openly revolts against the father you know like the only way he can do the biggest way he can revolt is by maybe like dozing off when the father is talking to him about about his about his culture and so and at the same time i also understood where the where the father is coming from as well like because he's very proud of his culture and they, they are in charge of this uh, 1000 year old monastery where uh, it has been passed down from like um, generation to generation and now here gameboy is not willing to take over the monastery at least he's not he's not telling it but it's pretty obvious that he doesn't want to do it so yeah uh, i basically that that is what was interesting for me I wanted to talk about the, you know, the use of, the way you've shown the use of TV and smartphone and internet uh, and how it is being adopted and just suppose between the two generations and, you know, Bhutan being one of the last countries to, in the world to actually legalize the use of cable TV, internet. And so how, you know, these things also sort of capture Bhutan's transition to the digital age. Age. So I mean, when, what do you think about that? Yeah. So yeah, like, like you said, like uh, Bhutan was the last uh, country in the world to get TV, and actually, probably I come from the generation who grew up watching television. You know, like the first one, probably. So uh, yeah, it's very interesting because uh, I think because. Uh, I think the impact is bigger in for in Bhutan, like the effect of television and mobile phones. Generally, internet is it's, it's bigger here because uh, it came everything came at once here. So especially this generation, like Tashi and Gimbo, you know, like they grew up with with their phones, and it's uh, it's uh, also you know like when we see like Gimbo uh, look for football tutorials on on, on YouTube you kind of uh, feel that, oh, he's actually not so different from anyone who, who, who grows up in America or Europe or anywhere else in the world. So that way I thought, and also, yeah, I, in a kind of a subtle way, I wanted to reflect on this, uh, on this um, contrast between tradition and modernity through the small tools. Like, for example, there's a scene in the film where Gimbo is watching television on this, uh, uh, on a TV where the, the, the it's there is a frame uh, where it's like it's where it's this traditionally painted uh, frame where the TV is kept, you know, like so. I wanted to really reflect on on those things in the film. Uh, 
so I'm gonna play a clip from the documentary and then we'll have a music. Thank you, Sana. Uh, so there are a lot of cuts like this in the film, like the one we were we just watched, where you have mixed traditional and modern visuals. And like we just saw the TV fame you were just talking about as well. Uh, some other cuts that I had noted was when the father is dancing uh, to the drum beats and the same beats are heard as they're practicing uh, football, the kids. Um, and uh, could you talk a little bit more about the editing and the sound designing uh, process? Also, to add to that, you know, because your editor is Hungarian, you know, what was that process like as well? Yeah, uh, we had an uh, we had an uh, interesting editing process because uh, uh, our editor he doesn't uh, speak English, so. Uh, uh, my co-director Dorothea, she was translating it to him often. Um, we had to constantly send footage from here because I was here most of the time shooting. So I was, uh, what we were doing is we were shooting here and then uh, getting it translating, uh, translated and then sending it to Hungary. And in Hungary, Dorothea actually kind of translates it to Hungarian for our editor. But it was, uh, it was a, I, I think it was a, it was a very it was a very long and difficult process, but I think it was a it was a really good process because somehow our editor had, had a lot of distance from the footage, and he could actually um, he was not so um, he was not as close to the footage as myself and Dorothea because Dorothea would come here and, and she was doing the sound, I was doing the camera, so we were so close to everything, and we we knew the situations like what is happening and. Uh, uh, sometimes we didn't want to uh, leave out certain footage because we were so emotionally attached to some of the scenes. So uh, it was really good that it, that there was someone who had a really fresh eye watching watching the film. Uh, but actually, the the structure of, of the film itself it 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 actually um, came out more during the editing process. Because when when we set out, and actually I, anyways, I like to work that way. That in documentary, uh, I like to start with with like really like my with with an idea, and I go there with an idea, and I actually shoot with that like lens through that lens, uh, and I'm just shooting through that lens. And um, then when we reach the editing stage, I like to start writing the actual structure. So it's like a opposite. Uh, of fiction, I would say. So it's like uh, 
um, so during so during the editing process, we actually started to write write down the write down the script and stuff, and that's when the story really really changed, and it also like came out. Uh, uh, otherwise, uh, before we started the editing, actually the the structure of the film it was not really not really clear, and but we knew that we want to reflect upon changing times in Bhutan. We wanted to reflect upon uh, generation gap. We knew, tradition modernity using this um, 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 monastery as the microcosm using very very uh, uh, ordinary everyday situations without big drama but the drama is usually very very like subtle through the film so that we knew and that uh, that was always there in in our head when we were out there uh, shooting and searching for moments uh, with the father uh, searching for moments with Gembo and sometimes Gembo and Tassi together that we knew. Uh, but we started the first initial editing process for four or five months. And then we realized that maybe we need to shoot some more. So I came back here and then we shot for again, like few like patching here up, up down, like few things. And then we kind of, we could complete the film. So, uh, we, we kind of shot a little bit after the editing process started as well. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to play one more clip from the film that we wanted to refer to. yeah so i wanted to refer to you know like how she refers to tashi's gender expressions and uh, towards the i think towards the end also there is a session where parents directly speak to the camera and uh, sort of uh, talk about what do what do they think about Tashi's gender expression? So, is this kind of thinking common in Bhutan and in general? You know, how is gender viewed? Mm -hmm. So, uh, one of the uh, reasons why I got really got attracted uh, towards this family was also because how accepting the the parents were towards uh, Tashi's identity. Actually, uh, because the this interview that you see in the film actually it's actually a research interview it is the first interview we actually did with three of them and it wasn't even meant to be part of the film initially we just wanted to hear their thoughts and we were still trying to figure out whether this family can be a part of the film or not so um so we are just in you know that's how we work that we kind of interview them just to see how they express themselves how are they on camera it's kind of a in some way like a casting let's say so um, I was uh, so I started to ask them question about what Tash to ask them what they think about Tash's identity and then the uh, father said that 
he must have been a boy in his previous life. Uh, uh, that's why you know he's like this, and he, he was so accepting of his identity in front of us, but in everyday life, in everyday situations, and and he would refer to Tashi as he as well. So um, it was so for me uh, that was very interesting, and uh, um, which is not very common in Bhutan actually. Um, but this really came from the father's Buddhist beliefs because he's caretaker of this monastery and he uh, he's uh, he he was actually practicing his his own Buddhism and then uh, but what was interesting for me was that he was so accepting of Tashi but then he wasn't so accepting of of Gembo when Gembo wanted to go and play football so I thought that if it was in another part of the world maybe it have been the complete opposite, you know. <laughs> so, uh, 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 but this the, this family itself, they were unique because they were they were very very accepting. Uh, generally, all uh, in Bhutan, you see that they use their uh, uh, Buddhist values to inter- interpret their everyday reality, and you do see a lot of families like ac- accepting of uh, of transgender people uh, by saying that this is this is just like how you are born you know that this is uh, because of your past life uh, um so uh, that you do see see in bhutan but especially in this case this family they were like really like like very accepting uh, sometimes when we go around the village we would see uh, like there was no open discrimination towards tashi but uh, sometimes they would make comments like for example when when tashi and gembo are in the archery match playing and then someone makes comments about Tashi's hair, you know, like those kind of comments you see. And uh, when I was growing up also, at least in schools and all, I have seen some form of discrimination towards transgender people. It's not really like open, but there is discrimination. But this was a very uh, special family. Indeed. Um, oh, so, sorry, Sana. No, go on. Okay. Okay, um, so um, yeah, this is a unique family also because you know what, what you were talking about earlier about how uh, they you know the typical South Asian ex- ex- expectation that's there, but so is this like wonderful acceptance of who Tashi is, and I found that like the ex- existence of both really beautiful. Um, the film does not follow uh, traditional talking heads at all, and it's entirely observational. Um, and you know, which really allows us to character what the characters are thinking uh, by looking at the activities and the conversations. And um, um, you know, it's such an observant film. How did you approach the camera work? And like, where where were you when you were shooting? You know, in many ways. Mm-hmm. So um, usually, I I like actually. I mean, most of the time. Uh, uh, I like to be alone on on set. Actually, I like to go there. I do the sound, and I do the camera as well. Like most of the time, and um, somehow I feel very comfortable doing it. It's a lot of uh, uh, sound post production work later on, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it's uh, but it's worth it in the sense that you really tend to get like some moments that you would never get if you were a bigger group or bigger group because I spent so much time with the family almost being a part of the, almost being a, their family member like uh, the, we released the film in 2017 and I still 
I'm in touch with them right now. So like we, we keep on talking, we chat all the time. So I, was, I, I became a part of the family and sometimes you bring someone else on set and then the whole dynamic changes. So uh, also after spending a lot of time with, uh, with the family, you also kind of realize where you need to place yourself, you know, like because you kind of understand the rhythm of life there. You know that, okay, at this time, the father is going to go to pray. At this time, he's going to bring Game Boy here and he's going to teach. And he does, it's a very repetitive process. Like, uh, for example, uh, Game Boy and Tashi, like on the phone, in the bed, it used to happen almost every other night. Like you see them on the bed, you know, like talking, chatting, talking about girls. So I, I would just need to go and stay there. Initially it was uncomfortable for them, but then slowly I kind of told them that, oh, this is important for the film. So it was really, um, and also sometimes it's also about um, just staying with the camera and um, waiting, waiting for things to happen. And I think if you wait, enough then you get what you want often because sometimes uh, you if you, like like for one scene you wait for o- over an hour just waiting and you know that something interesting is going to happen something interesting is going to happen so you just place yourself and here i i really wanted to work with more composed kind of frames without moving the camera too much as well so it was more difficult to get uh, this kind of uh, scenes. Uh, that's why I really needed to wait because somehow through the camera work, I wanted to reflect on the on the rhythm of life in Bhutan itself, like the time, because everything is a little bit slow here. Everything is a little bit repetitive here. So that's why I, w- I wanted to kind of intentionally show this repetition and this, and this passing of time uh, in the film. Uh, thanks, everyone. Uh, so for those who want to ask questions, you can also unmute yourself and ask questions directly with the room, or you can uh, put in your questions in the chat, and we will take it. Uh, so, um, so in one of the interviews online, I was reading about you and Roberto. It mentioned that you showed the film to the father, and after seeing the film, he sort of postponed Gimbo's admission to the Mon School. So could you talk about that and also in general, like how did the audience in Bhutan react to this? Yeah, uh, so yeah, I should, uh, we showed the, showed the film to, to the family and uh, it was very interesting because um, um, like they really enjoyed it, but there were also really a lot of uh, awkward moments, I think uh, for, for the parents because they are watching the, uh, the kids talk about girlfriends on the phone and you know stuff like <laughs> like that as well and actually uh, yeah I mean after after watching the the film uh, the father always reflects about like uh, you know like his his dream of sending Gembo to the monastery and seeing that he becomes the next uh, guardian of the of the monastery and he used to tell that to me always so actually after watching the film uh, he he seemed to at that time he seemed to uh, change uh, change his mind a little bit so he actually let gimbo uh, gimbo was in his at that time in his um, i think he was in his 11th grade or something like that he actually let gimbo finish finish through through high school uh, 
and I feel like it is it was also one of the kind of not only the watching the film at that moment, but it was also because he spent so much time with me, the crew, all of us talking about Gimbo's future, and I think that kind of uh, uh, made him change his mind a little bit. Yeah. And how did like in general uh, audience in Bhutan react to the film? Oh. Yeah, I think uh, it was very interesting because um, um, it's one of the few creative documentaries uh, that came out of Bhutan. Uh, we, there are there are very few independent filmmakers here, uh, and even fewer documentary filmmakers here. Uh, most of the films that we see are from BBS, which is like the local television channel here. Uh, most of the documentaries. So they are a little bit different. They are more informational. Let's say they are more journalistic. So uh, actually, this was one of the few, like first creative documentaries from the country. So it was actually, um, I, we had a very good reaction. We uh, screened it here in the cinemas. And it was the first time that people were watching a documentary in a cinema here. So, and people kind of could really relate to, to the film a lot. And we actually screened it to a lot of young people in different high schools. We had uh, some kind of uh, traveling cinema. We took our own projection and our own uh, equipment. And we hiked up the mountains, showing it to different communities uh, to kind of talk about the themes in the film. And uh, we actually got some really interesting um, reactions, both from parents in the villages to, to youngsters also, and often young people people would say that I can really relate to, to Gambo. And sometimes we'd hear a lot of older people saying that, oh, the father is right. So so uh, we we had some, uh, actually, but generally it, the audiences were very receptive here. Uh, thank you. Uh, so one of our, one of the participants, Shujin Pandey wants to ask a question. Shujin. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Uh, first off, amazing movie. I watched it with my mom and she loved it as well, especially the scene when, you know, the father and the son, they're dancing together and, you know, he's awkwardly dancing, but he's, you know, enjoying at the same time. Uh, I was curious about this, uh, the, the, the structure of the film itself in a sense that it has a very documentary approach to the movie as well, but a lot of things, it also looks scripted, right? I love how you like blur the line in between these two and push the narrative all together. How do you do this? Like, what's the process like? Is there a specific approach that you take? Uh, like, what's the process like in general? Yeah, that's a very interesting question, actually. Uh, mm, actually, um, it's more like the, the structure itself, it came out during the editing. So, uh, while we were filming, of course, I didn't want to do a uh, do a like a traditional documentary. I, I really wanted to do so, something which has a kind of a narrative arc, almost like a fiction. Uh, and I knew that if I spend enough time with the with the with the family, there is a, even if there is no huge big drama in the film, there is always this subtle drama which we can integrate inside the film all about where we put the drama in the in the structure you know and i knew that that we can uh, figure out uh, during the thing itself and um, a lot of the the structure it uh, you know like the moments 
like everything is actually it's 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 real because I was there, I was waiting. Uh, obviously, when Tashi and Gimbo go towards the river, they do that almost every evening. Uh, sometimes I would tell them, "Hey, let's go to the river," and then I just follow them. They sit on the rock, and then I just film and then wait for them to talk. And sometimes, like ninety percent of the time. The footage is really bad because uh, they don't talk what you want. Uh, but then uh, at the same time, sometimes if you know what they usually talk, I give them like little pointers. Why didn't you talk about this? And then they talk about that. And then initially it's really not natural. But then after some time, because they talk about it all the time, they forget about the camera. Uh, and then it becomes really natural. So it was uh, that kind of um, improve. I really improvised during the shooting. Like It was very like, like I was improvising all the time. Um, just uh, while they are on location, I kind of give them small cues to talk about this, talk about that. So that that was the shooting process. But the structure itself, it uh, it it really came out uh, during the editing. And then during the editing, we realized that uh, um, we don't have a strong ending. I mean, we had that scene where they were climbing the rock. We already had that, and we knew that we want that to be the end of the film. But we didn't have something before that. Uh, because till that point, um, the father hadn't taken Gimbo to the to the monastery. So I came back to uh, to the shooting, and then I talked to the father, and I was like telling him, "When are you going to take him to the monastery?" And then he's like, "Okay, let's go tomorrow." So, <laughs> so that's how uh, I I went with the with the with the father, and we we filmed that. So it's a, it's I think it's I think it's like um, all about kind of uh, filming things that that would happen in the future or something things that happen other times but won't happen in front of the camera so it's a balance between the two and uh, then i think uh, the structure it uh, usually uh, i normally don't like to think about the structure during the uh, shooting process usually it, it comes out during the editing for me thank you so much sure. thank you Stephen. that would have been a good ending like with that rock shot because there's a dialogue where Tashi says you will go to hell if you don't become a monk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you were talking about the filmmaking and how like uh, difficult it is to make films in Bhutan and lately like a couple of films like Lunaka, Yasin Atraskin or The Cup which is on movie as well. Like, so they sort of like were sort of screened on international platforms. But like, how much do you think has changed in the past few years in terms of uh, funding that you get for films or the filmmaking process in general? Uh, so here in, in, in Bhutan, actually, um, nothing, nothing has changed, actually. The, the, it's, uh, like we had one film that got nominated for the Oscars, but even that also didn't change anything for, for the Bhutanese cinema itself because we don't really have uh, uh, support for, for the arts here, any kind of arts, like uh, including filmmaking. And the market itself is also so small for, because our population is so small, uh, it's very difficult for, even for commercial filmmakers. So for me, I, I had to, that is one of the reasons, uh, because I studied in Hungary, it was easier to find a producer from Hungary for the, for the next garden. So that's how she helped me to, to raise the funds. Um, and also I really applied to a lot of art foundations. Uh, there's the Itfa Berta Fund, which is a 
um, very important fund, I think, for for developing countries. So we had a lot of we had we had funding for for, for development, for production, post production from this Itabertha fund. Like most of the fund for this film actually came from there, and part of the fund came from our uh, Hungarian producer. So the sad thing is that we all the time have to rely on having producers from Europe or the US. That's I think it's the same for most independent filmmakers in South Asia, actually. Um, so that kind of, it, it was not a problem for me creatively, but sometimes it can be a problem because uh, you can't really tell your own uh, authentic stories because then every time you have to worry uh, that, oh, is this film relatable to somebody in Europe? You know, like you have, you. Uh, because I think the first priority should be, is it relatable to someone in, Bhutan, you know, like, but usually it's the opposite because of this. That's true. And you notice that uh, in so many markets as well. I'm curious as like, you know, as part of from South Asia, uh, you said nothing has changed, but are there new creative documentary filmmakers coming out of Bhutan at all? And is there a community that's growing a little bit or is it just you at the moment? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, also, because we are always looking for, you know, uh, films from Bhutan to screen for our festivals, you know. We have, we have, we have, uh, uh, we, we have, uh, we have a few uh, fiction, uh, independent fiction filmmakers. I mean, uh, uh, we have, but for documentaries, for documentaries, uh, at the moment, it's, I think, even the younger people who, kind of enter into filmmaking, I think they start with fiction right? because that's the interest, yeah. I think. And hopefully gradually they will move towards documentary at some point. But uh, making like creative documentaries, uh, I think right now it's, it's just just me actually. Obviously like we have directing. I mean, I involve a lot of local yeah. crew and I, I have sound people and even editing and everything I, I involve like uh, I was also teaching here at at the university here, so right now I'm also involved in some of my students as well. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, right now, like for creative documentary, yeah, no, it's not. It's wow. it's, it's just yeah. That's yeah. Good to know though, and I will keep in touch as being you know for our next festival. I'm sure like we'll ask you about your film development in a little bit as well. Um, yeah. uh, I don't have a question about you know. Uh, there's a lot of stress by the father that uh, only a male can leave the monastery. And not that there's any indication that Tashi would be interested, but have things changed now? And uh, are there any female nuns and female leadership in monasteries in Bhutan? Uh, they still no, still no. I, I don't know any monastery. Uh, so this is a private monastery and very few private monasteries are left right now in, in, in Bhutan because of this is the same issue where the, the, the son doesn't want to take over the monastery anymore. Uh, and then what happens is eventually the government takes over the monastery. So this is also a case of where the family property gets taken over by the monastery for, for the father. But right now, obviously, the father is still there. He still has the monastery. But this was also one of his uh, uh, problems. So, but... We have a lot of we have a lot of uh, nuns, but they uh, there are no 
there are no I don't know any women who 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 are taking over like monastery. I don't know. Uh, actually, the father was very open to the idea of Tashi taking over the monastery also at at some point. But then the I think it would have been problematic for the community itself there. So uh, that's why it, it didn't go ahead. Uh, thanks, Arun. I think Srijan has another question. Um, thank you, Ken. Uh, since you mentioned that you also worked on the camera work in the film, I was interested a bit about the cinematography of the film as well, because I noticed that uh, you used a lot of static wide-angle shots in order to not only show the monastery, but also the father dancing, you know, Tashi going around, Gampo going around and everything, right? Does it have any specific meaning to like beyond you know showing the place and everything? Does it have any other symbolic meaning or any other you know cinematographic technique that you use throughout the movie? Uh, <clears throat> it was it was uh, firstly it's actually that's usually my style that, that's that's how I shoot any any film, like most films and it's somehow uh, suited to to this film as well. So. Um, I thought that it's one thing we didn't we didn't really want to use movement in the in the film that we were very sure of. We wanted to use like mostly white shots. It was it was uh, basically the kind of show the rhythm uh, of life here. It was to show the show the rhythm of life here basically to and also it kind of matched with the repetitive routine that uh, we wanted to show that happens in in rural bhutan that 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 was that was the reason thank you uh thanks Sujin. so yeah, are you in touch with sashi and gambo and like is there any like if you're thinking of a project of them following them or yeah <laughs> yeah so there is uh there is good news and bad news so basically <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm in touch with the two of them uh, for last two years. Gimbo completely disappeared and he wasn't talking to me and I was wondering what happened. But then I realized recently about a year ago that the father actually sent him to the monastery. So uh, he's he's in the monastery right now. Maybe like he he has maybe like two more years. Then I think he'll be done from the from the monastery. So he left his high school and he's in the monastery right now, the same monastery where the father takes him uh, in the end of the film. And Tashi is now uh, she's uh, she she couldn't get back to football, so she's now in the table tennis uh, like the ping pong team, the national team ping pong. <laughs> so she's she's placed that, and then she's also kind of uh, she's uh, studying right now. She's she's in college. And that's very interesting. Yeah, I would love I would love a follow up uh, to this film. Um, last question. Uh, we uh, I mentioned gross national happiness, the film you're currently working on. Um, could you tell us a little yes. bit about that? So, I'm also <clears throat> co-directing this film with Dorothea uh, because we have a we we have a really great working relationship, and somehow she has this. She has the outsider perspective and I have the local view and it works really well together. Uh, um, this film, uh, it's, it's actually about, uh, about a happiness agent who goes around Bhutan uh, doing the happiness survey. So 
through this happiness agent who works for the like uh, the happiness department of Bhutan, like he works for for them, and then through him we we meet different people. So it's like a kind of a mosaic of different stories through this happiness agent who goes on a road trip with his best buddy, who is also a happiness agent, and then. Uh, uh, he himself is unhappy. Basically, he himself, the happiness agent himself, is is desperate to get married. Basically, so so that's the story. Uh, yeah, uh, it's kind of satire, uh, kind of uh, bittersweet. Uh-huh. Um, we, it's uh, a documentary we, that. Uh, yes, sorry, it's a documentary. Yeah, it's a documentary, and we we were following him already for the last three years, and we are also reaching the the editing stage for for this film as well. Yeah. Also, so, uh, can we possibly expect it around uh, next year? Because FSA is mm-hmm. fall twenty twenty four. Just want to plug that in. <laughs> I will be sending you an email about that. <laughs> <laughs> would be nice i'll i'll, I'll definitely yeah. share it with you of course of course definitely, definitely. Yeah. thank you yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks again thanks so uh yeah so we that was the last question we'll end our session now uh thank you everybody for joining us and thank you again for making time like really learned a lot from you uh so recording of the session uh yeah with transcripts will be shared on himal and since south asia social media channel soon and we will be back next month with a new documentary from South Asia. And uh, follow Himal, follow Himal South Asian and Film South Asia for more updates. Thank you, everyone. Okay, bye. Thank you, Thank Thank you. everyone. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.